another informational resource from UK Healthcare. This is UK HealthCast, featuring conversations with our physicians and other healthcare providers. Here's Melanie Cole. Great progress has been made in the field of liver transplantation over the past two decades. The progress, however, also brings up a next set of challenges. Organ shortage remains a major limitation and accounts for a large proportion of the waitlist mortality. My guest today is Dr. Malay Shah. He's the Surgical Director of Liver Transplant Program at UK Health. Dr. Shah, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Tell us a little bit about the UK history with liver transplants. Well, no, I appreciate you having me on. Um, love to talk to you more about it. So, University of Kentucky started a liver transplant program uh, a couple of decades ago. Um, you know, and it was a big need in the area at the time. I mean, there's obviously, you know, it, in the state of Kentucky, there's a lot of people with advanced liver disease due to their medical comorbid conditions such as diabetes, obesity, hepatitis C. We have some of the highest rates of hepatitis C in the country. And so there was an imminent need for the University of Kentucky to have a liver transplant program because if you look at a map, you can see where UK healthcare is and it's situated kind of in the middle of the state. So a large portion of the uh, patients we serve are patients from central Kentucky and eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, so Appalachia. And now we're actually drawing patients in from western Kentucky uh, more more recently. But I think that's why... You know, that's kind of the genesis towards why UK developed a liver transplant program is just simply for the need that these patients needed somebody to manage their liver liver disease and provide transplant options that they otherwise would not be able to receive. So, Dr. Shah, for other providers, give us some indications for referral to a transplant center. What would you like other providers to know about that? Well, what I tell people... You know, there's there's some common sense guidelines I use, which is what I tell people when I go uh, providers when I go out on outreach trips is that if you think you need a liver transplant, if you're if you think your patient needs a liver transplant evaluation, just send them. We're happy to see everybody. Um, some patients just want one, just kind of for peace of mind, whether or not they need a liver transplant or they've been seen. Uh, for liver transplant evaluation and 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 sometimes providers it helps them kind of give give their patients a peace of mind and a second opinion as to uh, transplant evaluation and whether it's needed or not. More objectively, what I tell uh, gastroenterologists um, and their providers is that if people have a MELD score of anywhere from ten or higher, or they have evidence of hepatocellular carcinoma, which is a uh, something that can happen as a result of cirrhosis to go ahead and send the patient in and let let us uh, start the process of evaluation. Even though patients typically don't get a transplant until their MELD score is higher than 15, our program has a mindset that it's it's good to get the patient in early because the problem with liver disease is that patients can be doing well for a period of time and then just unexpectedly fall off the cliff. And so rather than wait till the patient falls off the cliff where it may be too late to actually provide a service for the patient, I'd rather have the patient here already evaluated, already on the list, and we're kind of ready to step in and do a transplant if needed. So those are kind of the general things I tell uh, providers on the outside is that just send them when you think they need to be sent, and if their MELD score is higher than 10, go ahead and get, send them on in. Then what does the process look like when a patient gets to the UK Transplant Center? So when they come to our clinic, they meet with one of the surgeons um, who will do a, com- 
comprehensive history and physical examination. They'll meet with one of the hepatologists um, and who will also likewise do the same in terms of a history and physical exam. They'll meet with one of our liver transplant nurse coordinators at that visit. Um, and those are the three main people that they're going to see. And so all of us will talk to the patient regarding different aspects. All of us talk to the patient regarding liver transplant and their candidacy, but all of us are addressing it from a different perspective. The surgeons obviously addressing it from the perspective of the surgical procedure and post-operative care. The hepatologist is addressing it from the perspective of medical management of the liver disease and what we need to do to keep, keep the patient healthy, as healthy as possible until the time of the transplant. And the nurse coordinator is going kind of through all of that stuff. And then basically our nurse coordinator, we have five of them, but one of them will be assigned to any given patient. And that, that nurse coordinator is going to be that patient's point person through the entire journey of liver transplant, pre-transplant, and post-transplant. So um, that's that's kind of what patients can expect if they're coming into our outpatient clinic. Inpatient, of course, is different. If patient, someone's sick in the hospital and we initially receive a consult, we'll go see them as a consult and kind of decide whether or not we want to evaluate them for a liver transplant. As I said in my intro, you know, there's a problem and challenges, certainly with organ shortage. Tell us a little bit about what you see on the horizon as far as organ shortage or what you see going on now, some of the challenges that you might face. Oh, well, that's a, that's a great question. So when patients get on the list, of course, you know, there's the demand for a liver transplant it far exceeds the supply, meaning there's more patients that, that are on the wait list than there are organs available for transplant. And, and that, that actually is getting worse as time goes on nationwide, that, that disparity between the supply and demand is getting worse. And so what there, there's a lot of researchers exploring different uh, avenues for um, creating you know, xenotransplant is something that people have been working on for 20, 30 years at least, which is using animal livers and putting them into human beings. And there's just a lot of immunologic challenges associated with that. Um, and that's something that's out of my area of expertise. But I think the biggest thing going on right now, and I'm proud to say that UK is at the leading frontier of this field about improving OPO, so Organ Procurement Organization Performance. So, so we have been doing a lot of research in collaboration with colleagues from Emory and from Miami and Vanderbilt on ways to identify more donors in more, uh, in more locations and more hospitals throughout the country. And we are trying to expand our view on what we think are suitable donors. So as an example, 20, 30 years ago, people may not, and this predates me being in transplant, but 20, 30 years ago, people may not have used a donor from somebody that was 55 or 60 years old thinking that, well, we have, we have enough donors for the amount of patients we have on the wait list. And so why use an older donor when we can wait for some, a donor that's potentially younger? Well, obviously, now that the d disparity between the supply and demand is just ever increasing, people have been looking for different ways to use all sorts of different donors. And so, you know, we, we use older donors who's as for livers, as an example, older donors, as long as the liver is normal, it actually doesn't make a difference how old the donor is. We can use a, a older liver, if you will, from an older donor and put it into a, a young recipient. And there's basically very, very little to no consequence from doing that. So I think we're expanding the way, 
we are all thinking about how to approach donation and maximally utilize donors available. And then going back to the research I was talking about, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity for the donation and transplant communities to find potential organ donors in places that we never looked before. And so I think that's it's exciting times in many ways because my team and many other teams out there uh, that I mentioned earlier are exploring all these different ways to identify donors. So that's where I think it's going to go in the future is that just more and more donors. We've got to find more. Well, give us a similar explanation about rejection and what do you see as far as research and or exciting things? And tell us a little bit about some of your outcomes, Dr. Shah. So our outcomes are great, actually. Our one year, so our all transplant programs are measured by one-year patient and graft survival, and it's measured by an organization called SRTR. And so our one-year patient and graft outcomes are actually around 94 95%, which is outstanding. Um, and I think that a lot of it has to do with the, the care that uh, we're able to provide these patients before surgery and after surgery. Um, you know, you mentioned rejection. I, you know, what I tell patients, because that's a question that frequently comes to uh, uh, comes up in a clinic evaluation, is patients will ask, hey, what is the risk of rejection? What can happen? And yeah, honestly, in liver transplant, I don't worry too much about rejection. The only rejection in liver transplants I worry about are when patients stop taking their medicines. And thankfully, that's a very small number of people. Um, because we have a very, just like all transplant centers, we have a kind of a highly selective process where we're trying to identify the patients that are least likely to, you know, be non-compliant with their care. But occasionally, you know, there's going to be one or two that, you know, stop taking their medicines and then they have horrible rejection. But overall, for as long as patients are taking the medicines they're supposed to take after a liver transplant, even if they have a little bit of rejection, it's not that big of a deal. We generally give them just some extra dose of steroids and it clears it up and it's generally not a problem. Wow, really amazing. As we wrap up, Dr. Shah, what makes the transplantation program at UK stand apart from others in the state as well as the nation? I think a bunch of things. Actually, from a clinical standpoint, I think that we have patient-centered and family-centered care. I think that patients enjoy their experiences here and I think you know, we make sure that that happens because I, you know, as, I, as as you know, as you mentioned, I run the liver transplant program. So patient experience and family experience is an important part of it is that I want patients to come here and feel like they're at home because it's a very scary time for patients, you know, to come to the big transplant center to talk about getting a liver transplant. And that, that's, that's scary stuff. And so they need to be, they need to be they need to feel at ease with the care that they're going to receive. And so I think that's that's part of why um, what sets us apart is that we try to get, try to be very compassionate with patients. We try to get them in quick. When a referral comes in, we don't say, okay, we'll give you an appointment two months from now. No, if, you, if a referral comes in, the patient is offered an appointment within the next week, uh, which is actually phenomenal. And what I've, what I'm told is that, uh, people in the community like that because they, they get their patients in quick. They have easy access. I think that in terms of what sets UK also uniquely apart from many other transplant centers is kind of the research that my boss and several of his collaborators do with regard to basic science and tolerance in terms of re- rejection. Tolerance is one of those things that's kind of been the holy grail of transplant, meaning that 
you can get a liver transplant or a kidney transplant or anything, and you basically don't have to take any immunosuppression or very little immunosuppressive medications because your body is tolerant to the organ that you receive. And that's, that's, he's kind of doing some novel stuff, which is only I believe three or four centers in the entire country are doing. So that's really neat stuff. And it's cutting edge. It's being funded by the NIH and other entities. And it's just, it's great stuff. And I think the third thing that sets us apart is all the advocacy. And that's the stuff I'm involved in is just making sure that organ procurement organizations are maximally identifying potential donors out there. Uh, me and several of my colleagues, we also advocate for uh, allocation policies of organs that don't disadvantage rural or socioeconomically uh, uh, poor people, if you will. Um, and so, I think that that's what sets us apart is that we're try- we're trying we're on a national level when it comes to research and advocacy for our patients and then like I said going back to the clinical aspect we we get patients in and we treat them as if they're own, our own parents or loved ones. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much Dr. Shaw. What a great comprehensive program that you've got there. Thank you for all of your expertise. That wraps up another episode of UK Healthcast with the University of Kentucky Healthcare. A community physician can refer a patient to UK Healthcare with UKMDs at 1-800-888-5533. Or you can head on over to the website at ukhealthcare.uky.edu. If you found this podcast as informative and educational as I did, please share with other providers, share on social media, share with your patients, and be sure not to miss all the other fascinating podcasts in the UK Health Library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.